I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Puma Podcast. I would like to see more conscious enterprises starting up and creating the impact in the grassroots. The job of creating a better future is not solely dedicated for one business or one person or the government or like it's everybody's job to create a better future for all of us. Hi. I'm Carl Javier, CEO of Puma Podcast. You're listening to A Better Normal. I wanted to have and share conversations with leaders and innovators, people who, in their own ways, have already contributed to making this world a better place. I wanted us, you and me, listener, to get a chance to sit down and learn from some of the people I admire, figure out how they think, pick their brains, help them build out the way that we currently think, so that, like them, We're building a better normal. In this episode, I'm talking to Patch Dulay, founder of the Spark Project. The Spark Project has been around for 10 years, and it enables entrepreneurs and creatives so they can launch new projects. Often, these projects are high-impact and community-driven. Patch has been a champion and supporter of Puma Podcast almost from the beginning. And I say that not just as someone who knows that Patch listens to our work, but who actually enabled our work. Because we have some podcasts that were supported by the Spark Project. Patch, can you introduce yourself and the Spark Project? Hello. Hi, Carl. Um, so my name is Patch Lulay. I am the founder and CEO of the Spark Project. So Spark Project is a platform. It's an enabling platform for conscious creatives and social entrepreneurs who want to create better things, not just things that can give them a quick buck or a profit, but really things that are meaningful and have significant impact to the people that they serve or communities that they serve. So we started out in 2013 actually as a crowdfunding website. So during that time, there wasn't any crowdfunding website here in the Philippines. And I felt that Filipinos, Filipino projects would benefit a lot from crowdfunding. And over the years, we have also evolved upon understanding the community that we have been interacting with, the entrepreneurs that we have been working with, we saw that we can do so much more also beyond crowdfunding. And that's how we organically or naturally, we expanded the things that we can do for the community. So that involves us creating learning spaces for them to know more about social entrepreneurship, We also have created events, learning events such as conferences. We have partnered with different organizations who are looking to 
create projects and programs that are more sustainable as well as more socially impactful. So we work together with them and um, using their large-scale platforms, we get to design and implement different programs, accelerator programs that promote entrepreneurship, promote social impact, and promote creativity. Congratulations for 10 years. We got to celebrate with your 10-year anniversary. And this idea that crowdfunding is often transactional. Like, you know, there's this product and we want it to exist. So here's some money. And everybody kicks in amount and may tears and stuff and may rewards. But what I admire with the work and, and actually my first contact with Spark Project with Spark Fest um, is the ability of Spark Project to really bring people together. And it's not just because you're investing in something or there's a product that you want, but my real meaning behind the work. And I'm wondering how you brought that into it. Like, was that there at the start? Did it evolve? Actually, when we were starting the Spark Project as a crowdfunding platform, there are different crowdfunding platforms available globally that time. And we were, you know, thinking how we could, in a way, differentiate ourselves as well as like, how do we want to build this crowdfunding platform here in the Philippines? And it was very clear to me and the rest of my team that for us, in order to be successful in bringing crowdfunding here in the Philippines, it has to be community driven. It has to be a crowdfunding community and not just a platform. Anybody can create a platform, but a community is something that requires more work, but it has longer term benefits. And from the onset, that's how we saw the Spark project to be and how it evolved over the years. It has been quite apparent. Yeah. So all the things that we engage in, all the things that we, you know, put out as the Spark project kind of like shows or displays the kind of community that we want to create. So case in point, the Spark Fest, which is our annual conference, which ran pre-pandemic from 2017 to 2019. It was an idea that we've always wanted to do. We want to do an in-person event because Spark Project is a web-based uh, web app. So how can we bring Spark Project to life? And if we were to bring it to life as an in-person event, how would it look like? And that's where the whole, like, how would we create that experience? It's like bringing everything that we love in one venue, in one event. And I guess if you are being able to bring together a group of people who share the same values, who share the same interests, bringing them together, it's magical. And it, it would definitely create a lot of sparks, it, like amazing ideas would come out of it, um, inspiring, you know, inspiring projects would come out of it, serendipitous meetings would come out of it. And you, I mean, like the possibilities are endless. And we're very happy that since day one, because we were very intentional in making it into a community, we actually saw it, you know, really happen through our different in-person events. Yeah, no, I know. I agree that community is so important. And one question I have is, normally, you know, with a crowdfund platform, product, transactional, and so the work of the creator of a project is 
to make the best possible product. But on the other end of it, like for Spark Project, you're saying it's not just the product, it's the community. And I agree. Because at this point, lagi naman may product na kayang mag-undercut in terms of cost. There's always going to be a cheaper version of a thing or a fancier version of a thing than what people are bringing forward. So the thing that can power local projects is the community support. My question then is, how do you imagine your community? The project creators that go to us at the Spark Project are usually, you know, entrepreneurs or creatives who have projects that are more than just creating a product to sell. Although we put a premium on, you know, the creativity and innovation that's put into the different projects that go into our site, we also put premium on the reason behind them creating. And naturally, when we dig deeper and talk to the project creators themselves, it will come out that in the process of them creating this project, maybe a product or a creative project, it's not just about for them creating that you know well-made product that people will like or subscribe to or buy or purchase but also they have a deeper sense of mission that they want to you know create some sort of impact in the community that they've identified with so for example a brand that creates bags gouache one of her first projects So more than designing, they're very intentional in designing a well-made bag that would serve their needs. Uh, they launched their camera bag through the Spark project. But more than that, they wanted to give livelihood to the artisans in Marikina, where they are from. And not just the artisans in Marikina giving them livelihood, but during that time, they were fresh out of Ondoy and most of them were displaced and unemployed. So you'll see the deeper reason why they decided to create the bag brand. So it kind of goes hand in hand and that makes of a very unique and special story and turned into a crowdfunding campaign that the rest of the community would want to support. This is a bad example, but because I've worked in NGOs and parang pupunta ka ng community, and then yung community, meron lang silang kung ano mang produkto yung tinuro sa kanila ng livelihood project. And that's all that they make. And the problem is like the community gets trapped there, just doing that. And then people who visit that community, they just buy the thing, even if, because like, napadalaw ka, so mahiya ka naman na hindi bumili. But there's no sustainable support around it. And what I find interesting here is we are able to match, say, entrepreneurs who have business acumen and a plan for sustainability with the communities. My question then is like, so meron kang communities that are served by the entrepreneurs. Pero what does the Spark Project community look like? The people who support the projects. It's really about talent building on talent. So you have your talent, like raw talent from, let's say, a community in Marikina, the shoemakers in Marikina. But for us to really make magic or like a nice product that, you know, the rest of the market can, would want to purchase, you'll also need talent 
let's say creative talent from entrepreneurs like like Anne and Louis, the founders of Gouache, to work with these artisans, these bag makers from Marikina, so that we can elevate the type of products that they put out. That collaboration between talent, building on talent, has proven to be quite sustainable, I would say, because you have here your entrepreneur working with artisans who are very good at their craft, and then you create products that are very marketable. So it's not going to be a pity product anymore, as a lot of like these community groups would make. If we use our talents to build on another talent that might need our help, there's something good that will come out of it. Their question on the backers, like the community that supports these projects, who are they? So for crowdfunding, we go back to it being community driven. You know, crowdfunding is not magic fundraising. So the communities that support these projects, usually we would see it in, you know, many levels. We'll start with the first level. Uh, your first level supporters are your family, your friends, your colleagues, people who know you already. Because crowdfunding is such a public way of raising funds and it's very personal also, you would expect people you know to be the first people to vouch for you. And when they say they vouch for you, they would back your project or support your project, contribute to the funding goal that you have. It always starts from there. Rarely do I see projects that have majority of their funders come from strangers. Majority would usually come from people that they already know. And if they campaign right or they play their cards right, they have very compelling product as well. This first level supporters would spill over to the second level supporters. So these are friends of friends or even strangers already. So people who stumble upon the project, maybe heard it from someone who supported it already. So that kind of word of mouth effect that happens. People like to support or the credibility of a project would always stem from, you know, the social proof, as we would call it. Like if you know someone who has supported this project, then it's likely for you to feel more confident in supporting them because you knew someone has supported them before or can vouch for the people. So you, that's why you really have to start from your first level supporters. So that's the usual profile of the people who support the project. People who resonate with the project creator or the founder. And then it's also possible that not only are they familiar or they know the founder, they also like the product. So again, we go to the point that the product should be able to stand on its own. So the product itself is outstanding. It's well designed, it answers a problem that they want solved or, you know, they would really want to purchase that product. So people who resonate with the founder, who resonate with the product, and also lastly, people who also resonate with the story, the backstory, the mission of why the project was started in the first place. So a potential backer can fall into any of those or all of those when they support a crowdfunding project. That's why, I guess, as a project creator, you have to be able to translate that through your crowdfunding campaign because the people who would 
eventually visit your crowdfunding um, campaign page would either look at you as the project creator, what you're all about, your story, your mission. And then they'll also look at the product or what your project is all about. Okay, I think the interesting thing for me is how important the narrative is, how important stories are. And I think that says something about this specific audience. Obviously, we might as well call it out kasi kasali naman talaga yung may level of privilege ka kapag meron kang opportunity na isipin yung kwento behind a product. Like you've moved beyond, kailangan ko lang ng t-shirt. And you're purchasing something that is eco-friendly or it's woven by traditional weavers or something. Like you're not trying to get the most basic version of a product. You're getting a version of it na may kwento na. And that's where, I guess that's where the premium nature comes in. I guess that's what I was trying to explore in terms of your community. Do they look like the founders? You know, yung para medyo middle class, upper middle class, well-educated people who are funding these projects as well. Um, and, and does that make sense? Because if that's the case, then what this tells me is technically parang investing class na yan eh. Kasi if they're putting money into Spark Project, that means that they're actually enabling new startups to to get launched. Like mid, mid-20s to mid-40s, middle class, you know, well-educated people giving small amounts to back these things. Is that what it looks like? I, I would have to agree. I think if I were to describe them, I would describe them as conscious individuals when i say conscious they are like what you said they are more particular about the things that they purchase or the things that they support so they try to understand deeper you know what they're supporting is all about and to that point there is a certain level of privilege that comes with that luxury to actually dig deeper or like choose products or byproducts that have something more than just, you know, solving your need to clothe yourself. In terms of age, I guess I wouldn't say that they fall in a specific age bracket if I were to describe them as conscious individuals. I guess the requirement here is that they have not just purchasing power, but actually that giving power. Have you ever uh, talked to backers who really take pride in the things that they've supported. project you know, what were those interactions like? One of the cool things about crowdfunding also is being able to discover, you know, unique projects even before they get launched into the mainstream. So there are backers who take pride in supporting projects before they become big. Or they become before they become popular. For project creators, also, they really value the backers who support them during their campaign, and they treat them as their like founding community, and would always attribute their success or their big break because of the efforts of the many backers who got them to that point. I myself, as a backer of different projects, I always get kilig when I see a product of one of our of one of the projects that I've supported being worn by someone I have no idea, like a stranger, or like I'm just walking in the mall and then I see someone wearing that bag or wearing those shoes, and like, oh my gosh. 
I was one of the first backers of that project, and it gives me some sense of pride. Also, because I, as a backer, I know I have been instrumental, even in a little way, to bring that project to life and bring those, let's say, those shoes to the feet of that person that I just saw in the mall. Yeah, because it's actually special. No, it feels special to know that you're connected to the start of something. As opposed to a lot of the consumption that we do now, na you you go into the mall and you buy your you know your shirt that wala namang kinalaman like your purchase of that shirt has no impact like sure kumita pa sila but there's no real meaningful interaction and I I guess yeah there's there's a level of privilege but there's also a level of care that's enabled. I want to sort of spin the conversation around now from what has been accomplished to looking forward to how we can begin to think differently about entrepreneurship in business through this lens. As context, I guess, the common way that I've seen people think about startups is yung unicorn model. Yung, okay, I'm going to have one big idea. I'm going to generate a bunch of funding and I'm going to build and scale and it, it's, it has to be big. And so it's big ideas, but kailangan kasali na sa idea yung scale. Kailangan kasali na dyan yung big revenue. Like the only reason why you're able to launch that is because you're able to come up with projections for big revenue, which means you get big fundraising. And Spark Project does the exact opposite. It gives a very manageable target for the entrepreneur. Yung, you know, give me 500 pesos, give me 1,000. I know you have collaborations with big companies and with CSRs who are also accustomed to that big unicorn approach. How do you tell them about Spark Project and about our entrepreneurship? There really is a spectrum of different funding sources that are available to the entrepreneur or to the business itself. And crowdfunding is one of them. I would say there are one of the alternatives to investments from angel investors to um, VCs. Crowdfunding can be categorized as an alternative way of raising funds. And it plays a unique role in the ecosystem and an entrepreneur's journey. And crowdfunding really fits well during the time that the enterprise is just starting. If we were to do a timeline of it, Probably, in most cases, when entrepreneurs start out, they bootstrap or they use their own funds to fund the project. And crowdfunding happens right after that because after you bootstrap or you shell out your own money to create, let's say, a prototype or like do some initial sales, then you're looking to you know move to the next level, maybe bringing it to a broader market. And crowdfunding can be a good way to do that because not only are you raising the funds that you need to be able to produce more you also build a community around your work at the same time so it's a marketing activity as well as a selling activity and then moving on other startups can access grants social enterprises play have a unique access to grants 
And then you can go on, move on to loans and then maybe angel investments and then impact investors. And then the most complicated, but also the biggest funder that you can get could be a VC. And in that spectrum, I think each one plays a role, a unique role, or it has its pros and cons. It's just a matter of knowing a certain point in your entrepreneurial journey, what would be the best source of funding for you. I guess to make the question a little easier is, you know, the the investors or the CSRs or the banks or whatever, they have options for where they're going to put their limited resource. And I guess the first thing is what value are they seeing that inspires them to do it? For investors, like the bigger investors, like angel investors, uh, impact investors, and uh, VCs, being able to support or fund or invest in the type of projects that you'll see at the Spark project is something that will not just generate for them financial returns or a possibility of financial returns. It also does provide them a return on impact. So investors should also think about supporting and investing in these types of enterprises. These are social enterprises and, you know, consciously driven enterprises because these types of enterprises take into consideration, not just profit, but they also take into account their impact in society as well as the planet. And if more investments are funneled through these types of conscious businesses, I know for a fact that it will elevate the quality of life of the general public or society. Because what I'm thinking is, I'm inspired by these big businesses that exist. And I'm inspired by global brands that have you know, built these large things. But I love it that the Spark Project is offering an alternative path that you don't have to transform into you're able to serve a community with the products that you create or the creativity. And I guess the trending post-pandemic, where in the pandemic we were forced to sort of confront mortality and the meaning of what we're doing. And now we're mostly out of the pandemic, but we're also looking at a global climate crisis. And so when we can afford it, meaning, the meaning of life uh, matters in the things that we do. And I guess, are you seeing more people being inspired both to be entrepreneurs and to be backers? Yeah, the pandemic has really affected us in so many levels. And a lot of the pandemic has also given us the opportunity to think about, we think about mortality, to think about life, think about the meaning of life. And at least from my personal experience, being confronted with those questions and also building the Spark project, I have realized for myself, which I've shared with the rest of my team, that you know the whole notion of success in, let's say, the entrepreneurship startup space where you have to grow bigger, faster, is something that's not for me. Maybe for others, they're driven by those kinds of metrics, but for myself and for the Spark Project and where I want it to grow in the next 10 years, it's not about growing bigger and faster and that 10x trajectory. It's about growing 
closer to the community that you have and digging deeper into the mission and impact that it creates. And I believe that a lot of people think the same way. I believe that there are people out there who resonate with this kind of thinking, this kind of doing business. And that's where Spark Project wants to position itself and champion that kind of way of doing business. Because that kind of business of thinking about your impact in the environment and thinking about your impact in society, at the same time being sustainable and profitable so that you can continue on with the business, is is not something that's usually talked about or there aren't much conversations around it. Because what we see in the news are those who have just gone IPO or who has just gone the seed round of funding which gives people the impression that the only way to be successful in business is going through that route. And I've tried going through that route and it feels so disconnected to my values. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels that way. So what I'm presenting through the Spark Project is, I don't want to say alternative, but giving them another option that there is such an option of being able to maybe grow a little bit slower, but for sure, it would be more impactful. So there is a place in the world for entrepreneurs and businesses like that. And I actually believe that there should be more of that moving forward. If we're talking about a better normal, or uh, you know, if we are to paint a picture of what our future should be like, me as an entrepreneur and as an enabler of businesses, I would like to see more conscious enterprises starting up and creating the impact in the grassroots. Because the more enterprises, the job of creating a better future is not solely dedicated for one business or one person or the government or like it's everybody's job to create a better future for all of us. If we respond to that call individually as individuals, may it be through starting your own business, backing a project, being a conscious consumer, supporting the arts, uh, you know, supporting creatives for what they're worth, then we create a more equitable society. The future is building a more equitable society for everyone. I really love that. And obviously, I mean... Uh, Spark Project is something that resonates with me. And what I'm thinking about now, especially with what you were saying, is how it's a different path to do business. But what's also interesting to me with everything you're saying, Patch, is it seems like you fundamentally believe in the goodness of people. I don't think it's always cynical, but often, like the pursuit of business is just, uh, you know, hit the, hit the metrics, get the numbers, get the investment, make sure that you're earning so that you're hitting a certain thing. And I'm wondering, Lang, like, where are you drawing the belief and inspiration in the goodness of people from? Running a conscious enterprise or a social enterprise, it's still an enterprise. So I am not turning my back or being anti-strategies of how to grow the business. It might not be at the scale of 10x, but it is very important to create businesses that are sustainable and that grows. So, you know... So it's that balance between impact and profit. Yes, it is that balance of being a sustainable business or a profitable business, but also keeping that mission intact. 
the trouble with a lot of enterprises that that take in external funding from investors or people that they don't align values with is that there is a big chance that they drift in their mission. So we call it mission drift because the external funders don't appreciate or don't necessarily understand the ethos of the business. And when push comes to shove, the first thing to get sacrificed or the first thing that is let go is most likely mission-related. Example could be, um, okay, we need to cut on cost. Let's cut down on people and let's cut down on the artisans because we need to have bigger margins for our product. So I guess that's where the line is drawn or the balance needs to be set for the entrepreneur. And it's always going to be the leader or the founder who has to be solid in terms of the mission, the keeper of the mission <laughs> that is shared with the rest of the organization, of course. But if at the end of the day, right, you have to make sure that you protect the mission if you know from the get-go this is what you wanted to do this is the impact that you want to create so you have to be able to apply you have to be strategic about it run through the numbers you know the things that they teach you in business school but i guess in this case it's really putting that consciousness of creating the impact or of the mission at every decision that you make in business I agree that mission is so important, but I, I still want to ask the question, why do you believe in people so much? Where does the faith come from? I guess I would always also go back to my experience being able to study abroad. Before I started the Spark Project, I got a scholarship to study in France. And it was already kind of like a privilege for me to be able to go and study abroad, right? And while I was there, not only did I study, but also I did meet a lot of our fellow Kababayans there. And it really opened my worldview and also the reality of Filipinos um, living outside. I've learned that a lot of them are there out of circumstance because they need to provide for their families, unlike myself, who was just there for a scholarship. And... You know, the struggles that they go through. Some of them haven't been home for so many years. Uh, they're illegal aliens and so and so. And it brought me to think about like the injustice and that reality of people who are underserved or marginalized. And me being in that position of being more privileged than they are, how do I react to that? Like, what would be my response to this reality? And which eventually compelled me to go back home to the Philippines because I could have stayed there much longer and maybe built my career there. But there was really a strong pull for me to go back. And it's because I've seen the inequality through the eyes of our fellow Kababayans that I went to the Philippines, not really knowing what I'm going to do, but I felt like if I were to do something to change this narrative for the Filipino also, knowing that Filipinos are very talented, uh, how can we change that narrative for them to have opportunities here in the Philippines? And if they go out to pursue other things outside the Philippines, they do it not out of circumstance. And 
it was when I went home to the Philippines that I started to explore what to do. I didn't know what to do then. Like I was just, okay, you're integrating myself back. And that's when I got introduced to different communities. The startup community that was emerging during that time, 2011, 12. And at the same time, it was also the time that social entrepreneurship was also emerging. So that's where I saw some answers, okay? Through those meetups, through those community events. That's why I guess community events were also very important to us until now. Because that's where you meet people, serendipitous meetings, you know, get inspired by other people. I met a lot of entrepreneurs who were very talented, creating many things. And in my conversations with them, you know, one of their hurdles of getting started is funds. And then... I was thinking about what I'll do, like what what business should I do? And just combining my knowledge also, my background is in IT, information technology. So I was very into the web and then, you know, the startups were emerging then. And then here you have, you know, groups of entrepreneurs who are talented, but are looking for ways to get started. So, okay, maybe I should create a crowdfunding website. Because I knew about crowdfunding, you know, years back because of Kickstarter. But I found out that Kickstarter does not have presence in the Philippines. So that's where the light bulb moment or the spark of the Spark Project came about. I really like it. You're studying abroad, you have opportunity, you have privilege, and you're like, may injustice dito. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to give back. It's an important thing and not everyone comes to that, right? Not everyone has that. I don't want to sound so privileged, but that's also the truth. Eh? Na some people are given more opportunities than other people, right? So I acknowledge that privilege and I think everybody who has privilege should not be ashamed of their privilege, but take it seriously. And by taking it seriously is asking yourself, Given the privilege that I have, what can I do to make other people's lives better? Because other people don't have any. Yeah. And I'm thinking also about shifting sands. Inevitably, I ask questions about how the workplace will change in AI and stuff. Because I think we're at the precipice of something. Our service industry is, you know, under large threat with, with new technology. So I'm wondering if you're seeing this as an opportunity Given how much we see the talent and creativity of Filipinos, like, is this going to be a big moment or a potentially big moment for more creators, for more people to explore entrepreneurship, whether through Spark Project or not? Is this the moment for more people to sort of jump out and get out there and try and build new things? Yeah, in the emergence of Web 3.0, like the emergence of all these... Uh... AI, chat GPT, and like technology replacing people's jobs. You can look at it as an opportunity, right? Crisis opportunity. And I think for the opportunity side, I would like to look at it as an opportunity for people to be more human, to be more human through whatever they create or put more humanness in the work that they do. So if you're an entrepreneur, then how can I make my business more human? If I'm a designer, how can I make my designs more human? I think there's an opportunity here for us to step up, not be threatened by 
technology, but rather level up the type of output, the creative output that we put out. I've always believed that technology isn't here to replace anything that in real life. It's becoming more apparent, but technology should be able to complement human life. Now that we have more AIs, things might be easier for normal tasks now. Then that way, we have more elbow room to elevate our output. Higher order thinking. Yeah, so it's an opportunity for us to level up as humans. And uh, when you're saying that, that always brings me back to community because that's the thing that can't be replicated. You can have the chatbot make all your social media posts, but it can't show up to an event and make real human connections with people. Exactly. Human connections. Yeah, that's something that you can't replicate. A lot of takeaways for entrepreneurs and creatives listening out there. Here are a few things that stood out for me. First is Patch's point on talent building on talent. So it's putting yourself in a position where collaborations can happen because you're making connections. The next is the way that you build out a project. It can't just be inspiration. You need to understand who you're serving and whether there's a product market fit. And having a platform like the Spark Project allows you to see whether the mission that you have actually aligns with a potential audience. And lastly, very important thing for everybody is there's really nothing wrong with coming from privilege. You don't get to choose who you're born to or where you're born or when, but it's how you move from that privilege and what you do that will define you. So thanks to Patch, And thanks to you, listener. And thanks to the team behind this episode. Producer Geraldine Pascual, audio editor Joe Salcedo, and the rest of the Puma podcast crew. I've been your host, Carl Javier, and you've been listening to A Better Normal. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow Puma Podcast on all the socials and follow me on IG. It's at Carl Javier, Carl with a C. If you like this episode, please do me and at least one of your friends a favor. Tell a friend about this episode and this podcast so we can build a community of people making a better norm. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.